All right, folks, welcome to today's episode extra with Emily Grijalva. Uh, thank you, Emily, for joining us today. Uh, Emily was good enough to join us for our conversation uh, around how our schools do and do not support the needs of our LGBTQ youth. Um, and she's been good enough to stick around and chat a little bit more with us uh, about her work and just some of the really exciting things uh, that she is up to as a uh, as an educator, as a restorative justice coordinator, as a GSA advisor, and many other things uh, <laughs> on top of that, I'm sure. Uh, so, Emily, um, you serve uh, on the LA Unified LGBTQ Plus Resolution Task Force, uh, which is um, an exciting title. Would love to learn a little bit more from you about the resolution and the work of the task force and what that means for schools, for educators, for communities here in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so the LGBTQ resolution was a very uh, exciting a time of organizing, rallying, and really pushing LUSC board members to commit to um, providing more resources for LGBTQ students. And so, um, uh, you know, some of the demands were making sure that October was celebrated as LGBTQ History Month, um, that there would be um, more intentional selection process around history textbooks, including students, and making sure that it's more inclusive, um, providing more staff training uh, on ways that they can support students. Um, and then, yeah, and also the gender neutral restrooms. Um, so there was definitely a list of items that we feel that if honored, uh, students would feel a lot more supported. Um, and so it passed and all board members voted in favor. But, um, you know, for the past few years, we've been kind of struggling to make sure that it is being carried out. Um, and there was a lot of like, also like just politics. Uh, so the original resolution was, um, you know, supported by uh, Ralph Rodriguez, he's no longer in the board. So then it was like, okay. So then uh, Kelly Gonis and, you know, kind of like stepped in. And so it's been, you know, a little bit as far as like the board side, uh, a little difficult, but I mean, like I mentioned, they all voted in favor. And so the task force is many of us who are part of the organizing efforts. So it includes um, organizers from uh, Latino Equality Alliance, from the GSA network. Um, we have people that work for the district. Um, we communicate with the office of like the out for schools campaign, right, that is in LUSD, and then just some other community members. Um, and so we're trying to figure out what we can, uh, what kind of structures or plan that we can, you know, um, share out with schools and hopefully, you know, kind of ensure that it does get carried out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can imagine both the, the like, uh, double-edged sword, I don't know if that's the right metaphor, of like excitement that we have this resolution and we have this momentum, but also the, you know, the extent to which like its impact relies upon the individual behaviors yeah. of thousands of people literally across yes. our school system at over, you know, a thousand or a thousand or so schools, yeah. right, to actually make it mean what we want it to mean, right? Um, and the that perhaps long journey we still have yes. to get to get to that place. So, uh, you know, thank you for for your work on that front. Um, 
And speaking of your work, you wear many hats um, at your school, one of which is being the GSA advisor. Um, and I noticed in, uh, in your, I think I saw this on your, on your LinkedIn page, uh, that you described the, the GSA as being the Gender and Sexuality Alliance. And um, GSA is definitely you know, a term that's been around for a while and I think was, um, as far as I was aware, was kind of first coined as like Gay Straight Alliance. Mm -hmm. And I know there's many schools across country that still refer to it as that. So I, I thought it was interesting, the, the new framing of that acronym, or new to me at least, framing of that acronym. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can both talk about that mm -hmm. and talk about the work that the GSA does. And like, you know, in 2020, many of our viewers might be people who haven't been in high school themselves yeah. for a while. Uh, like, what does it mean to have a GSA today? Yeah, for sure. So you're right. It used to be uh, known as the Gay Straight Alliance, um, but there was a shift. Uh, even the GSA network decided to go with Gender and Sexuality Alliance because there's just so many more terms and ways that people are identifying beyond gay and straight that seemed very limiting to um, the the spectrum or just the the constellation of genders and sexualities that exist. And they actually last year changed it to genders and sexualities, uh, plural, um, just to kind of acknowledge the changes and just the new ways that folks are identifying themselves. Um, and so when we started, uh, we knew that we wanted to call it Gender and Sexuality Alliance to kind of reflect that shift. Um, and so I'm very fortunate that at least the way, I mean, GSAs are very different in multiple school sites, depending on the needs and the students that are a part of uh, their GSAs. So when we started our GSA, it was really about building a safe and brave space. Um, you know, we hadn't had a GSA at Mendes, and so it was really just starting, what does that mean? And luckily, GSA Network and Latino Equality Alliance uh, provided resources, kind of like, you know, asking us to think about, like, what is the kind of, like, do we want leadership roles? How often are we going to meet? You know, and just kind of helping us think about the structure of the GSA. Um, but the students that were in that GSA really what they wanted uh, that first year was like to build a family and a sense of community. And so that's what the first year was like. It was really about being loving and supportive to one another. And we did everything together. Like we would go out to, and for me, uh, I kind of do feel like I have an organizing background and I always want to remind students that yes, the classroom is sacred and our safe space, but we also want to always venture out to the community and look at the resources that exist. And students are going to graduate, and I want them to know that there's other organizations that they can intern, work, and like seek out uh, once they graduate from GSA. And so, um, so we would go to like you know uh, we went to Pride together. It was like my first Pride too. Uh, we would go to. Um, uh, like an LGBTQ literary conference. We would go to, uh, we went to go see Love, Simon together. Like it was a lot of like us going out and going to these spaces that they were interested in, but kind of nervous. So when you go together as a collective, you know, it was just a way to bond and grow. And so we formed a very tight knit circle. And so um, we cried together, we shared, uh, we uh, supported each other, especially students that were going through their own coming out journeys. Uh, so that was kind of like year one was like, how do we build community? And then the second year was like, okay, we love each other. And now we want to like 
change you know the system so that's when we did the gender neutral campaign and it was more like how are we gonna actually like push teachers to be more inclusive we met with admin you know so it was like definitely a very like activist uh, year two but then we kind of felt like we lost a little bit of the community building so then we're like okay year three we gotta have a balance right so and that's something that we've strived to have now like make sure that we're having the community moments where we're sometimes we'll just watch queer eye together or like (laughs) drag race and just hang out or go to events together Um, and then other times we're also pushing for change so for me i feel like that's the best like having both and there's some students who choose not to participate in the activist um area because they're really there just because they want support and that's okay or there's some that would rather just be out in the streets and don't necessarily want to like share and you know i always make sure that they're leading and that they're deciding how they show up and participate um so i'm kind of like flexible with their needs yeah yeah um so you i know um i have often uh seen your posts online i guess as i should I should say and you're um you know in your bio we introduce you as you know the, the proud daughter of uh central american uh or you know from a proud central american family so i wonder if you can just talk a little bit about how your identity intersects with your work as an educator and maybe uh the extent to which that also has drawn you to doing this work as a restorative justice coordinator as a gsa advisor etc Yeah, for sure. It definitely impacts um, my philosophy and like my commitment to education. So um, I I had a very interesting educational um, journey because um, so I was born in L.A., uh, grew up in the Echo Park area, but then um, my mom actually wanted us to avoid public school education and sent us to Guatemala to go study over there. And so I attended an international school um, and it was English only. We were not allowed to speak Spanish. Um, we learned mostly American history, American literature. All our teachers were American and Canadian. Um, so when wow. we would do the anthem, right? That's like when, yeah, when there was a graduation, <laughs> we would do the Guatemalan anthem, the American anthem, the Canadian anthem. And there was one time where we had like the Mexican ambassadors kid, so we also had to do the Mexican okay. <laughs> anthem. It was a very long graduation, wow. yeah. and so it's kind of interesting because um, originally the school was built for to serve the kids of missionaries out in Guatemala and um, and then they opened it up to the community and it was now predominantly Guatemalan students but um, it almost had still like kind of now that I reflect like I was like oh that was like still kind of colonizing mentality like the fact that I served detention for being caught speaking Spanish you know and things like that you know and so a lot of of times when I tell people I went to school in Guatemala they assumed I went to like a Guatemalan Spanish speaking school but no like it was it was basically an American school uh, situated in Guatemala and so um so even though I grew up in Guatemala, um, when I went to college in the United States and I returned, um, I remember sitting in a sociology class and um, she put in a documentary and it talked about the Guatemalan genocide. And I remember blushing and almost feeling like ashamed that I did not know my history. Mm. And uh, when it finished, it was break time and I went And I called my mom and I was like, why did I not know this? Like how, like, this is such a big deal about our history. And my mom's like, well, we just don't talk about it. And I was just like, and I cried and I was just so outraged. And I almost felt like, 
I had been betrayed by my schooling system. Like, I'm like, how did I go throughout my whole educational system and not know anything about myself? And I, and then, you know, and it totally, as many of us, when we go to college, we like try to find ourselves, right? And so yeah. I was like, I don't know Guatemalan authors. Now I have to go like, you know, and I kind of pushed myself into really learning about Guatemalan history and literature and current events. And, you know, and now I'm like super involved in the Guatemalan community um, in LA and have done other kind of like outside community projects. But, um, and I remember that feeling so well. And so when I decided to become a teacher, uh, it was because of that. Like, I was like, I don't want anybody to feel that, to like come mm. graduate 12th grade and be like, I don't know anything about myself. And I think that transfers well to the work that I've been doing in GSA, because it's the same thing. Like that quote that you mentioned, right? I would hate for a student to have passed and gone through my class and been like, I didn't get to explore myself. I didn't get to see myself in the literature or the articles that my teacher selected. Uh, and it does take a lot of work because I have to be mindful of like not only their like sexuality and gender but am I also including like our Central American students our Mexican students you know like and just being trying to you know include a lot of their own um, identities in my classroom but I think it boils down to remembering sitting there in that classroom and feeling like I don't know myself, you know, and I'm like barely, and I'm like, and I'm learning this in college. I'm thinking of my peers that didn't make it to college, you know, and so, um, so that is definitely what I think got me into teaching, and definitely, I I can relate to some of my students where they feel that they're not visible in the classroom, um, and then the second piece is that with the Guatemalan genocide and the civil war, right, uh, in the '90s when I was in like about elementary. Um, I'm, I'm like, am I aging myself? I tell you, but you know, that was so when they not, signed. Not on this stage. <laughs> okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, there was um, the peace accords were signed in um, Guatemala and that did not necessarily mean peace. Like there was still not infrastructure and there was still a lot of violence that, like I mentioned, I was seeing and I knew about but our parents and teachers were not talking about it, you mm. know? And there was a lot of racism towards indigenous folks and it was just like all these issues that would have you know, should have been addressed in the classroom, but weren't. And so then fast forward, I'm now a teacher in Bow Heights. I'm at a middle school where there's very punitive practices in place and where deans are like yelling at kids that are like half their size. And, and I just felt very torn because I knew that that's not how I wanted to treat um, students. And I know now things to restorative justice, there's been a push, but, um, you know, uh, I was told don't smile at students, you know, be super strict, yeah. they'll like walk all over you. And, and it wasn't the case. I mean, they're 13. I was teaching seventh grade. And, um, but I think that also my identity of understanding, um, you know, treating folks with peace and dignity and know that it takes a lot of work like that also kind of piqued my interest into restorative justice and wanting to know that we don't have to criminalize our students that we can provide safe spaces for them and so that's kind of where I started my journey too yeah I mean that is, that is quite a story Emily I did not know that's <laughs> what, what I was going to hear when I yeah. asked that question but I feel like so born in LA schooled in guatemala yes. but at an american school <laughs> yes. where you learned mostly about american culture and then wind up teaching in la uh where we are now i mean i, I you know i know many of our schools i'm not 100 percent sure about it at mendez but you know are are receiving a lot of students now mm -hmm unaccompanied 15 year old minors yes. and things right who are coming to la 
because of the ripple effect of the very history you yeah. were just you were just naming right there's yes. like a book or a screenplay or something yeah. something in there <laughs> that you should write I emily know. but uh, i know and you know and i've always tried to include central american uh in history in my classroom too and you know and our my Mexican-American students, our Mexican students appreciate it too because they're seeing it in the news. And unfortunately right now there's um, tension between Mexicans and Central Americans, which is devastating because of the current immigration policies. Yeah. And um, and so the students are hearing about it. They're hearing their families talk about it. So it's important that they understand, you know, why are folks coming specifically from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala? So we would have units about that too, you know? And um, and then for the few little pockets of Central Americans, they appreciated it too. They're always like, oh, you're Guatemalan? I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> like yeah. a few Central Americans in Bull Heights, we like kind of stick together. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, Emily, that is fascinating. And uh, again, I just want to thank you for, for being with us today, for sharing, uh, you know, your work and your story um, with, with our audience. And um, folks, uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today, you can uh, see our full episode with Emily and, of course, all of our content on our website, which is aotashow.com. And we would be greatly appreciative if you would uh, like this post, share it with people who might also uh, find it interesting um, and might want to learn more about uh, the, the amazing work happening uh, in, in our field, in schools uh, here in L.A. and across this country. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. Again, find all of our content at aotashow.com. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.